Hello and thanks for tuning in to Search for Truth. I'm delighted you've joined us. And Brian, our Bible teacher on Search for Truth, begins a brand new series today called Who Am I? It's a five-week series with a new transcript booklet to help you study and follow the talks with detailed Bible references. This series will look at you and me from God's perspective to see what the Bible teaches about us and how God regards us. Today's talk is called Wonderfully Made. And now, here's Brian. Thanks, John. A craftsman in medieval times would work on a special piece of work that displayed best his artistic skill. Finally, when the work was finished, he would present it to the craftsman's guild, hoping to achieve the rank of master. If successful, that work would come to be known as his masterpiece, the piece of work for which he achieved the rank of a master. In Psalm 139, we see God as the master craftsman, lovingly at work on his masterpiece, the crowning glory of his creation. And that's us. We're not the products of time and chance. Viewing ourselves as wonderfully made is the first of five ways in which we can learn to view ourselves biblically. In this series, we hope to look in turn at all five self-portraits of a believer in Christ. But let's begin with the one we've already mentioned. It's from Psalm 139, which we'll take the time to read now. For the choir director, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinise my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word in my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skilfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed! For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, 
and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. What can we immediately observe about this psalm? Perhaps the first thing is that it appears to come full circle. It ends the same way in which it begins, with the idea of God examining or searching our hearts. As I read through this familiar psalm again recently, a question popped into my mind. Why does it end in a similar way, perhaps even the same way, to the way in which it began? Why does David end again with, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Would we be correct if we discerned a change in attitude at the close of the psalm from the attitude expressed in verses 1 and 2? You see, at first, it seems like David wants to hide from God's unwelcome scrutiny. But later, at the close of the psalm, in verses 23 and 24, does he not end up inviting God's scrutiny? Are we witnessing a maturing of attitude and mood through prayer and time spent in the presence of God? Could this change be in any way like the change that occurs in a child who starts off early in life being resentful of his or her parents' seemingly intrusive interest and suffocating care, but then comes to deeply appreciate the love it expresses? In a similar way, does the psalmist, David, turn from thinking of God's attentions as being somewhat patronising to begin to appreciate them for what they truly are? On the other hand, it's not easy to always get the correct tense when translating from the Hebrew into English, and so it could be that the ending of the psalm is simply intended as a re-echoing of the opening. The Jerusalem Bible is one translation which follows this line by also phrasing the opening lines in the same present tense as its closing refrain. That tends to make the psalm much more of a unit and throws a spotlight on verses 19 to 22, which say, O that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed! For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. If that's right, then the whole psalm becomes a plea for justice, with the psalmist opening himself up for God to examine his integrity as a basis for vindicating him against his enemies. Seen in that light, this familiar psalm becomes an expanded version of the prayer of the prophet Jeremiah when he said in Jeremiah chapter 12, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I should plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You have planted them. They have also taken root. They grow. They have even produced fruit. You are near to their lips, but far from their mind. But you know me, O Lord. You see me, and you examine my heart's attitude toward you. Drag them off like sheep for the slaughter, and set them apart for a day of carnage. And, similar to David in Psalm 139, Jeremiah also recalls God saying, Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? In other places, throughout the book of Psalms, David protests his integrity even as he prays for divine protection. 
Take Psalm 7 and verse 9. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. And then Psalm 26. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. So the choice before us is either the process of prayer helping David to mature his thoughts, or David pleading his integrity as a basis for demanding judgment on his enemies. But either way, having tried to put David's words in Psalm 139 into their original context, we really now should notice the words David uses here to describe God's activity and artistry in making us. Words like formed and wove and skillfully wrought. That last word is one that can be rendered embroidery and described equally the exceptional artistic creations of the gate of the tabernacle court and the door of the tent of meeting, as well as the sash of the priests, all made by people who were specially gifted by God with wisdom and ability for the exquisite task of twisting the multicoloured strands. And we are more than the mechanical outworking of the spiral of our DNA strands. There's more than chemistry involved, for there's information woven into this wonder molecule that's contained in every one of our ten trillion or so cells, and all by supernatural design. Did you know that a scientist once compared the likelihood of a cell forming by chance to the same likelihood of a typhoon blowing through a scrapyard and all by itself assembling a jumbo jet? But let me ask you, do you tend to think of yourself as God's artwork, his masterpiece? If not, perhaps it's because you allow yourself to be intimidated by the modern Western celebrity culture, where youth and beauty are excessively glamorised and then airbrushed to perfection. If we accept that as the norm and as a correct evaluation, we can often end up focusing on what we don't have and it can breed dissatisfaction. In which case, this psalm offers real, solid encouragement to those who think of themselves as worthless. For example, in verses 17 and 18, God's thoughts towards us are said to outnumber the sand grains of Sahara. Try spending some time absorbing the wonder of that fact. And now, I wonder if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. This is a further word to believers. In Ephesians 2 and 8, we begin by reading, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. If you're a born-again believer in Christ, then what I'm about to say applies to you. You have been made twice. What we find here in Ephesians chapter 2 updates the 139th Psalm. The quality of God's work defies any comparison. Rejoice that you've been made by a master craftsman who has also fashioned the opportunities in life for which he has uniquely equipped you.
I don't know about you, but I found great encouragement from today's study, and I hope you did too. The booklet I mentioned earlier, the transcript of this whole series of talks, is available free of charge. So if you'd like one or more for group study or to pass on to a friend, make sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title, Who Am I? There are also back issues of other titles which you might like to download via the internet or order through Amazon. So I'll tell you about that in a moment, but first, here's our postal and email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN, UK. That's United Kingdom, of course. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, as I said before, you can download audio versions of some past programmes on your computer. If you go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk, that's www.searchfortruth.org.uk. This is our church website where you can also access additional helpful material. And some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at Amazon. Just go to Amazon. .co.uk uh, forward slash Kindle ebooks and type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find a growing list of transcript books there uh, from previous programmes. So thanks once again for the pleasure of your company today. Uh, next week we have the second talk in this series. I hope you can uh, join us. And if you missed any of the addresses, you'll find them in the uh, booklet on the back cover page uh, if you'd like to send for one. So until next week, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. Mm -hmm.